As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This week, dance like the Duffman, watch the greatest bowman, and look out. There's more injury time winners than you can squeak a bum at. Welcome to the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. Hello, I'm your host, Ali Maxwell. Here with me, it's George Ellick. George, we have an absolutely jam-packed show. Talk to me about what's coming up. Got two interviews. How lucky are we? Oh. We're going to be speaking to Cheltenham Town manager, newly promoted League One's Cheltenham Town, Michael Duff going to be speaking to Phil Smith as well from the Sunderland Echo about their streaky little run they're on at the moment. For the Tuffle Settlers, the midweek awards, there was basically so much good midweek action that we're going to be talking about basically all of it. And then at the end of the show, we'll be previewing the three biggest games as we get to the crunch end of the season. One from the Championship, one from League One and one from League Two. Welcome to the crunch end. Right, it is our duty to dish out some Tuffle Setmers. Now, these are the Totally Football League Show Extra Time Midweek Awards. We believe that all EFL games are created equal and we don't believe that the midweek games that occurred throughout this season get treated with the same seriousness as a weekend game. So all season we've been dishing out our player and team of the week whenever there's been a midweek round of fixtures. Now in the championship, no awards this week because there was only one game and to be honest, no real standout players. It was Brentford 1, Rotherham 0. Brian Mbomo scored his second winner in a matter of days, having scored the goal that beat Bournemouth on Saturday lunchtime and for bees this means that they now need just one win from their last two games to secure third spot of course themselves Bournemouth Swansea and Barnsley will all be entering the playoffs but we still don't know for sure in what order but Brentford can be top dogs in the playoff picture if they win just one of their last two games they've got Watford this weekend their playoff opponent is still unclear so there's no sort of jostling for position that they're able to do really they will find out over the next few weeks, whether they'll play Bournemouth, Swansea or Barnsley, those three are all on 77 points. So plenty to play for there. For Rotherham, George, it's five defeats in a row. What does that mean for their prospects between now and the end of the season? 
It means, Ali, that their fate is not in their own hands for the oh, first no. time this season. They're now four points behind Derby. They have three games to play against Blackburn, Luton and Cardiff. Derby have Swansea this weekend, followed by that massive game against Sheffield Wednesday on final day. So, yeah, Rotherham came into this run of games knowing that a couple of wins would put them in pole position to get out of the relegation zone but after five de- defeats on the spin suddenly they're relying on others to slip up and good form themselves in order to stay in the championship next season I absolutely love how at this stage of the season fate becomes a huge discussion point in EFL terms and being in or not in someone's hands even more so in terms of Tuffle Setmers for League One and League Two we are going to dish out some awards because there were plenty of games but more than that we want to catch you up with what happened because believe me when I say between the hours of 7 and 10pm on Tuesday night where many people may have been watching the Champions League semi-final it was carnage in League One and League Two we're going to try our best to put some meat on the bones for you but our League One team of the week is Blackpool and that's because they went to the Stadium of Light they went to Sunderland They won 1-0 and this is off the back of two 1-0 defeats that Blackpool have suffered over the last 10 days to lowly opposition, Shrewsbury and Rochdale. That was the end of their, what, 15-16 game unbeaten run. So we reckon to beat Sunderland for the second time in 10 days, a team who, as it stands, they'll be playing twice more in three weeks' time in the playoffs, uh, is quite the feat. And Sully Kaikai's goal, the winner, if you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch. Both Kaikai's goal and Chris Maxwell's saves, which saw out the win of the highest quality Blackpool, our team of the week. What about player of the week in League One? Goes to the party pooper at the Valley, Owen Dale, who scored twice as crew drew to all with Charlton, who were twice ahead in the game. For Dale himself, I mean, both goals were, were of the highest quality, I would say, in, in League One. Two brilliant finishes, the second of which was deep into injury time. And I absolutely loved the way that he celebrated this goal. Part of the reason why we chose him for this award wasn't just the two goals, but also the way that he gleefully reeled off safe in the knowledge that he was reigning on the Charlton parade on their own pitch and he's been a player who I I guess you know his history and his backstory is nothing new when it comes to to crew he came through the academy he's got a lot of games under his belt for a 22 year old but he hasn't necessarily had the same the same conversation the same um, transfer rumors around him as the likes of Charlie Kirk as as Harry Pickering as Perry and G now Pickering and G will no longer be at the club next season. And G left in January, Pickering remaining at the club on loan after moving on as well. And it feels like Dale's probably one of the next ones on the production line. 11 goals this season uh, and somebody who I think we're going to see a lot more of. And, you know, the quality that we saw from those two goals, really, really impressive. And whilst Crew may not have anything to play for, certainly those two goals are going to have a significant impact, Ali, on uh, on how the playoff battle in League One is going to shape up. Before we get on to that, I just want to set the listeners a task because as you were talking, it struck me that Owen Dale has the same name, a surname specifically, which is also a nickname of a club in the league that he plays in, in Rochdale, Dale. And I was (laughs) racking my brains to think of anyone else that could fit that bill. John Cobblers? No, he doesn't exist. Billy Shrimper? I don't think so. We have got Robbins, though, haven't we? Mark Robbins. There you go. That's as good as I can do off the top of my head. Any others, please? Emir Hughes is very nearly Emir Hughes. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. Let us know, guys. Let us know. Give us a tweet. Um, and we're going to tell you about what that meant because Charlton's parade was very much rained on by Owen Dale and crew. That game finishing 2-2. Charlton thought they were heading into the playoff places, but they're still outside with a game in hand. George, there was also significant drama uh, in this playoff picture. At Accrington, they drew 3 all with Pompey in an absolutely crazy game. Yeah, unbelievable game. Accrington taking the lead, uh, going 2-0 up in the first half, only for Pompey to show... Some, you know, a quality and a character that I think a lot of Portsmouth fans have, have thought they've lacked pretty much for the whole season. Coming back to 3-2, to John Marquis getting two goals, the much maligned John Marquis at the moment, somebody who... To, to give him fans, his full name, they, the exactly, John Marquis. Uh, who I think Pompey fans have expected a little bit more from recently, getting two of the goals, Ryan Williams getting getting the one in, the, in between and Marquis getting the injury time goal to bring it from 2-0 down to 3-2 up, only to suffer the cruel fate of having the ball parried against his standing leg two yards out and therefore himself scoring the unwanted hat-trick goal, an own goal, to make it 3-all. Accrington proving to be the 3-all team against teams who really need a result because we saw Sunderland draw 3-all with them uh, on the weekend, followed by this game in midweek as well. Crazy, crazy game. Uh, 38 shots in it. I think often when you have teams who are supposedly on the beach... Some of them are lying down on their uh, on their rug, having a picnic and a glass of uh, a glass of champagne. Some of them are having a beach party, and that is what Accrington are doing at the moment. Seem to be absolutely reveling in the fact that their games don't really matter, attacking uh, without abandon. And um, yeah, an, an incredible game. Uh, but Pompey looking a little bit shabby at the back. Not ideal going into what they hope will be a playoff campaign. You know, they're still in the box seat. It has to be said, it's in their hands. They're, they're the team currently occupying. Six spot. Although actually, I think um, if Charlton, who are down in eighth, uh, have three games to play, so if they were to win their game in hand as well, although so they've it's got not in their hands. fixtures, it's not in there. It's in both of their <laughs> hands. I think Oxford feel like it's in their hands as well. I think any three of these teams feel like if they can just win all three of their games, then they are the most likely. But uh, but Portsmouth definitely the bookies' favourite at the moment to to get that last spot, even if their performances at the moment don't suggest they're a team who are likely to get six points from their from their remaining six. You've got sixth spot in League One. In your hands, you've got sixth <laughs> spot in League One. In your hands, etc., etc. Uh, those results were, well, those late goals were good news for Oxford, of course. Still in with a shout of a playoff place, albeit just the other side of the dotted line, one point behind Pompey. Shrews to come for Oxford on the weekend. Also, for Blackpool, that was a good result. Their playoff spot looks pretty much secured. And for Lincoln, who beat Shrewsbury and could technically still go up automatically, Lincoln, if they win their last three games and Posh lose their last two. Now, one of those games is against each other this weekend. So we'll know if the fight is on this time next week or whether Posh will be celebrating promotion, which they thought they were going to do on Tuesday night. George Posh played against Doncaster. COVID impacted Doncaster. It's sad, really, that in late April we still have teams being impacted by this. But a few Donny players were unavailable due to either a positive test or just self-isolation rules at the moment. But a party started in Peterborough when they went 2-0 up quite early on in this game, but very much fizzled out, George. Their fans started to gather outside the stadium, let off fireworks outside the ground, which were very, 
very audible from within it to celebrate their promotion. Of course, all that did was inspire Doncaster to a comeback. They ended up uh, equalising, drawing, and Posh did not get promoted on Tuesday night. So I, I just love this stage of the season where things like this happen. And instead of a load of interviews on Sky Sports News from Dara McAntony and Barry Fry and Darren Ferguson celebrating a, a well-earned promotion, instead they've got their serious faces on and they're saying, we're not blaming the fans, but it didn't help. Uh, <laughs> and down at the bottom, George, uh, more utter carnage. Another three-all, Wimbledon against Rochdale. Tell me about that one. This was another three-all where both sides are going to come away from it feeling wholly disappointed about what happened because this was an opportunity for Rochdale to, to get themselves back in that mix, get themselves a bit closer to AFC Wimbledon. But Mark Robinson, the Wimbledon manager, saying after the game that he felt this was a game that they deserved to win and should have won on the day. They started better. They were the better side in the, in the early stages, but Rochdale scored twice pretty quickly, both from set pieces, only for Wimbledon to get it back to two all. Rotherham, then another set piece, go three, two up. Joe Piggott gets a penalty late on in the game misses for the second game in succession after missing in a nil-nil draw against Ipswich, only for that man Piggott to pop up in injury time and make it 3 all. A remarkable week for their talismanic striker, given that if, if he'd put away that penalty against Ipswich, if he'd put that penalty away here, they probably would be safe now, even though he also turned out to be the hero at the end because he got that very well-taken goal late on. And he had a few choice words to, to say after the game as well. Yeah, obviously, it's just a sign of relief. Um, yeah, in all honesty, today wasn't good enough. Uh, the goal we gave away, stopping from set pieces. Um, but yeah, characters is what got us the point today. Um, yeah, gutted myself, obviously missing the penalty. Um, essentially, if I score that, potentially we're going for the three points. But luckily, I've uh, beat and found something there. It's a great cross and uh, yeah, just, just instinctive. Um, yeah, got to be better. And we're going to get on to a very, very big game uh, on the weekend for AFC Wimbledon coming up. And we have to shout out Jimmy Floyd's uh, Burton Albion again, Ali. What a performance and what a result in midweek. Yeah, and, and where the early part of his tenure was built on excellent defensive structure and nicking wins by a goal here and there. They've now really subscribed to the view that if you're safe with a few games to spare, you should adopt the pure vibes approach to dead rubbers. Uh, they beat Fleetwood 5-2 on Tuesday night. The goals started early and, and really didn't stop flowing. But it's all about Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's record uh, this week because he's now managed 22 games this season. That is exactly half of the 44 that they've played. And pre Jimmy Floyd. It was two wins in 22, 13 points, 50 goals conceded since Jimmy Floyd. 13 wins, 43 points and only 18 goals conceded. Ginormous improvements in all aspects. And Burton, of course, will be a League One club next season. It will be interesting to see where people have them in their League One predictions for next season after what an amazing few months they've had. But in League Two, well, we've got a team of the week who unusually didn't win their game. Cheltenham Town are team of the week in League Two because their one-all draw with Carlisle meant that their promotion to League One was rubber-stamped. Now, I am an absolute sucker for promotion celebrations. Cheltenham Town did not let us down. This is the sound of a club moving up the Football League. What an absolute treat and a delight for us to be able to talk to a man who 
about 36 hours ago, saw his Cheltenham Town side achieve their goal, promotion from League Two to League One. Uh, Michael Duff, thank you for joining us. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Very well. Now, we are probably slightly less formal on this podcast than some of the many media interviews you've done over the last few days. So I hope you don't mind me asking, just how many beers does one squad drink in the 36 hours after securing promotion? Do you know what? We we didn't it, we didn't go as mad as what it might have looked like on the... Uh, the lads had about 45 minutes to an hour when they, they had a few... A lot of them had to drive home. They did enjoy themselves and they did have a few beers, but it wasn't a five or six o'clock in the morning job. You know, we've trained today properly. We'll train properly again tomorrow because we've achieved the ultimate goal. Now, can you stick the icing on, on the uh, uh, the cherry on the cake, so to speak? And, and, and the lads have been good with that as well. Why is it so important to you to be crowned champions as well as just one of the three automatically promoted teams? I think they don't come around very often. I was lucky as a player, I had six promotions, but I only won the league twice. So, and I think they'll look back at it and regret it in years to come when they go, well, we just went out on the lash for 10 days. It was a good night, um, good memories. They got loads of good pictures taken, but keep pushing for 10 more days. That's all we're asking. I've noticed among some Cheltenham Town fans, there's a legend being grown about a certain gilet that you own. Uh, Tim Sherwood was the last manager linked to a gilet. Could you talk us through the, the lucky gilet? <laughs> I've actually worn it all season, to be honest, but um, it probably started, I wore, I got given a badge by uh, Joyce CR, head of media, before the Man City game. So I stuck the, the, the respect badge on and we did all right against Man City and we didn't get beat 11-0 because that was the fear we thought, because everyone knows how good they are, we thought we yeah. could be made fools here and we did okay. So I thought, well, might, might carry a little bit of luck this, so we're at every game, but the last Saturday against Colchester, it was nil-nil. We were we were on top, but we didn't look like we could break them down. It was a lovely day, so I didn't have it on. So about five minutes before, I think it was about the 75th, 76th minute, I said to the kit man, go and get me gilet. And he looked at me like I was mad. I said, just go and get it. Don't worry about the weather. I know it's not cold. So I put it on and lo and behold, we scored three minutes later. So <laughs> no matter what we say that we work hard and we're tactical and all this, it's just put, it's that it's that simple. Just stick, stick your gilet on. Unfortunately, not the case. <laughs> There you go. Um, you mentioned six promotions as a player. Astonishing record. I can't imagine there are too many uh, people who have enjoyed more promotions as a player. Uh, you're first as a manager of a first team. And for those listening who don't follow uh, Cheltenham Town as closely, three of those promotions, I believe, with Cheltenham Town as a player, one of your two major clubs in your career, it, it must be an extra special feeling from a personal level, given your genuine affinity with the club that you manage? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really lucky. I've been in football 26 years now, I think. And I've had two football clubs. So, obviously, three of the promotions were at Burnley, three of the promotions were at Cheltenham. And a couple of them were non-league, but still promotions in my eyes. Um, I married a Cheltenham girl when I was playing for the team, so all her family live here. Uh, my family have now all moved to the Cheltenham area as well. So no matter what happens with me in football, uh, in terms of if I get sacked tomorrow or I move on tomorrow, the family will all stay in Cheltenham. So you sort of almost an extra responsibility in terms of you sort of have to do well. Um, you, know, you don't want your kids getting bullied at school because uh, the dad's rubbish. Um, and it's important that you leave the club in a better state than what you found it. You can't bet the ranch. So you can't leave, you know, sign all the players for selfish reason. Then the club goes under in two years' time because I have to live in the town. 
So it's that no, there's definitely an extra emotional connection, but between the two clubs, when I when I played for Cheltenham, when I went to Burnley, sorry, the first result I always looked for was the Cheltenham result, and now the first result I look for when I get in is the Burnley result. It's just the way it is. And one more question about personal relationships. I wonder if I could suggest that the second result you look for might be the Hull City result. Uh, John Palmer, who covers Cheltenham Town, uh, I I caught his tweet the other day uh, just explaining how close you are with Grant McCann, the Hull City manager. And of course, just a a few days before you secured your promotion, uh, Grant and his Hull side secured theirs. Have you been able to enjoy a moment to, to chat with Grant about what you guys go through uh, as managers of, of EFL clubs and, and the success that you've achieved? Well, obviously, he's one of the best mates. So, uh, God, godparents to his oldest boy. We used to room together with Northern Ireland trips um, and obviously played at Cheltenham together. So, we, we, we go back a long way, me and Grant. Um, and um, we've had a good relationship as clubs as well. We took, we took two players from them last year, of which one has gone into their first team this year, Jacob Greaves, and plays pretty much every game for us last year. And, gone and played for them this year so uh, they gave us Elliot Bonds another player uh, who, who did really well for us and just started to get a run in the team and unfortunately got a really nasty uh, knee injury to put him out for the season so yes we've caught up quite a bit spoke to him this morning actually but even during the season when both teams have been going well and you might have a little bit of a wobble we we, we catch up and we, we just have a chat just, just as mates as much as anything else that's really that's really cool for us to hear. I I, I think um, last season, Michael Cheltenham, when coronavirus hit, just happens to be I think naught point naught six points on PPG outside the automatic promotion places, and we're on magnificent form. Uh, then came a playoff semi final second leg defeat against Northampton, uh, which was quite out of character, if I may say, for, for for the Cheltenham Town that we'd watched that season. So many people have pointed to that as almost the most impressive aspect of this promotion to be able to have put that behind you as a team. Did you do anything particular over the summer, well, in the few weeks you really had between the end of that game and the start of this season to make sure that, that you guys were over it? Uh, yeah, well, it was a lot of soul-searching, first and foremost. Um, you're right, we, we, didn't, we didn't concede three goals once last season. Uh, I think we'd only conceded two goals three times in the whole season. So for it to all go wrong on that night, it was it was horrible to watch. It's like a, a year's work unraveling right in front of you. We did certain things. We worked, we did a big presentation at the start of the season. The, the players deserve the credit. They bought in. There's got to be an authenticity within it. It's all right to say reach for the stars or you might get to the moon. It's nonsense. You've got to be prepared, work hard every day. Have a little bit of humility. Leave your egos Let's just let's just crack on because what got us there last year, you've got to do it again. And then obviously the long throw as well. We didn't really use the long throw last year. And that was one of the things of how can we improve? And I said, well, toes can throw it to the back post and we never use it. So now it's quite interesting from from, from our point of view because we, we've not changed anything that we do apart from using the long throw. Um, we've gone from an open, free-flowing team in other people's perceptions to just a long throw, which is great. We doesn't bother me one little bit um but it's it's definitely one of those points this year and it's probably the difference of why we've in the automatics to in the playoffs last year was there anything before you, you decided to to lean on the long throw more so was there any issue within the club or with your own beliefs that it, it wasn't right you know that there's there's a bit of snobbery about that sort of thing as you've alluded to no in, in my job I, i'm not one for talk about philosophies and, and all that sort of stuff we just try and win 
me and Toes actually sat down. We went through loads and loads of Rory Delap clips. Quite early on, we actually found that you can have too many men in the box. So we played Bolton early on. There must have been 18 six-foot lads in the box. And there's too many. Mm. So we, we, we took people out and we, we lock off the box well now. Uh, and you need people to go and head it. Obviously, Boyle's, Will Boyle's the obvious one. Uh, but lots of people lots of people have chipped in. And No, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's... I'm, I'm not bothered. I'd, I'd rather get promoted in any way, which way possible. Yes, we want to try and play good football. But just this season, because there's been no time to train, it's, it has been difficult in terms of trying to work on patterns of play and and, all, and, all, and the states of pitches have not been very good because groundsmen have been on furlough and things like that. So it's just finding different ways of trying to be successful. And it's it's clearly it's clearly helped us this year. There's no getting away from it. We've won games off the back of it. Um, so, yeah, do, do whatever you can to try and win. Just to pick up quickly one more thing on the throw, because it's rare that we'd get to talk to you uh, in depth about this. When you talk about too many men in the box, is that to do with... Um, uh, therefore not being in control of the ball when it's headed away, the second ball, the second phase, if you will, or is it to do with being less sure of where that first contact will go because there could be five bodies essentially jumping for it? Well, a bit of both. So we 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 now lock off the box really well. So the throw comes in, teams head it, we recycle it, we, we land on it because we have people in good areas. And yeah. before it was a little bit more random. So it's, it, we've actually... We've actually got better as the season's gone on because we're learning as well. It's new. It's new to us. Um, that they have signals now, so Toes has certain signals that the play because it's not always the same throw. He'll throw a. He'll throw deliberately. Throw it shorter sometimes. He'll deliberately loop it. Uh, sometimes it almost goes into orbit, so it's really hard to clear that one because he's got no pace on the ball. So then you're looking at bits around that one, and and the players know all these signals, so they know where it's going. So it's. Um, and they deserve the credit. They they've driven that part of it because they've they've recognised that they've they've got onto something with it, and it's it spreads panic as much as anything else. It's all yeah. people talk about. Um, so it sometimes allows us to get away with other things because people will have just prepped for the long throw. Uh, you know, I talked about last season and coming back from that, and clearly it's easy for us to sit here and decide what we think is very impressive about your promotion. But I just wondered if I could ask you if there's anything else that you feel particularly proud of um, that you've overseen with this group of players outside of the the bounce back ability, if you will, outside of the improvement of the long throw. I think just the improvement in the team. Um, in, in what from people from the outside. So my first year from the Boxing Day on in my first year, I think we'd have someone told me we'd have finished sixth or seventh, but we sixth, finished sixteenth. Yeah. So we didn't really get a lot of credit for it. Quite rightly so, we finished sixteenth in the league. But that was the moment we think we might be onto something here, and we've kept a lot of that group together. They've changed the way they go about things. That the, the it's a bit of a buzzword. I don't particularly like it, but the culture is set. If someone does step out of line, now they they drive that because they 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 smelt that they got onto something and they've been prepared to work hard. And with the disappointment of last year, they've got their heads down again. They haven't got ahead of themselves and think they're better than what they are. Come in and do the same things as you were doing two years ago. So it's, it's been a two-year journey. So it's almost, from, from our perspective, the staff perspective, is it almost feels like almost almost a double promotion because of mm. what happened in the middle of last year. So it's, it's, it's taken us two years to get here. Mm. We're under no illusions where, where we'll be next year in terms of finances and, and size of clubs, but just a different challenge. Embrace it, enjoy it. 
Michael Duff, Cheltenham Town manager there. What a manager, what a team they've been in League Two over the last few years. George R, League Two Player of the Week, has, well, possibly the best nickname in League Two. <laughs> yeah, it's going to the greatest Bowman. <laughs> Who else could it go to? Uh, yeah, this was a big old game for Exeter um, and for Grimsby and a game that they probably would have expected to win going into it um, against a Grimsby side who had slim hopes of safety. Um, but as soon as Barrow uh, were doing the business, any hopes that Grimsby had uh, evaporated. And Grimsby, when they were 2-1 up, looked pretty good value for it as well. And I do wonder if they became aware into the second half that it wasn't going to be enough because they're... Hero, Jay Matete, who I think we're going to speak about in a second, uh, ended up getting sent off and that opened the door for Exeter, whose season would have been over if the game had stayed at 2-1 to to Grimsby. Their promotion playoff hopes would have uh, fizzled away um, in this game. Instead, they fought back with Alex Fisher getting a goal with 10 minutes to go and then a brilliantly taken Ryan Bowman header. I mean, it's such a good header into the top right-hand corner, clinical with the head. Um, meaning they got the win and the three points that keeps them just about in touch uh, with the playoff places. And uh, and for Bowman, you know, who came off the bench here, somebody who, you know, we normally associate as being a key player for Exeter um, to come off the bench and do this, proving just how important he can be. And I have a feeling he'll have a massive role to play if they are to squeeze their way into the playoff places. So yeah, the greatest bow, the greatest Bowman, Ryan Bowman, is the League Two player of the midweek. But let's talk a bit about Grimsby Alley because they will not be a team we'll be talking about next season on the Totally Football League show Extra Time. That's right. Uh, relegated to non-league and promoted with Cheltenham Town five years ago. They'll now be two leagues apart next season. And look, with what half an hour to go in this one, uh, Grimsby may have been our team of the week and Jay Matete may have been our player of the week because just like he did last weekend, he'd scored a really good goal to put them ahead. 2-1 up, as you say, before being sent off. And he was one of a few players in midweek who really had both ends of the spectrum, hero and zero in the same game. Uh, look, it's not Jay Matete's fault. Far from it. He's been uh, a very good player for them over the last few weeks. And it doesn't seem that the fans are laying any blame at the door of manager Paul Hurst either. In fact, I feel like any positivity around the club at the moment as they drop into non-league stems from the hope that Paul Hurst will be their manager in non-league. Of course, he took Grimsby into the EFL from non-league last time and there's definitely some hope that he can do it again. But of course, with Grimsby, as it has been for around a year and much longer, really, it's all about the current ownership uh, under John Fenty. Um, the local journalist Matt Dean said... I understand when Paul Hurst and Chris Doidge returned to Grimsby, they were shocked at the state of the club, summed up by the balls at the training ground being out of shape and no longer round. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. That last sentence there, a very pointed comment to the current uh, board and owner. But there is hope on the horizon. There's an, a, an ownership group who have good intentions, we believe, who'd like to take over Grimsby Town. That takeover should go through over the next few months. The fans are desperate for it. And if it does, I think we can end this little segment on a positive note, because if it does go through, the fight that Grimsby Town have shown recently and some of their performances in recent wins have been very impressive. So there's a few moving parts here, but should the takeover go through, should Paul Hurst be still at the club, 
come August, I honestly think there'll be a lot of positivity and perhaps Grimsby can do what many teams have failed to do recently and bounce straight back up after relegation from the EFL. Uh, another positive, I'm afraid, from any relegation is that that also means safety for certain teams. Uh, and in this case, George, it means that Barrow... Uh, had their survival confirmed, it means they will have a second season at the level, having been promoted with Harrogate last time round. And, well, Rob Kelly, keys to the town, do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, there are some similarities with what you were saying about Paul Hurst and Rob Kelly here, where it feels like both clubs, after <laughs> scrambling around for much of the season, have found the right man to take charge. And, and Barrow are lucky enough that they're... Hero will be in charge of them as an EFL club, whereas now Grimsby have to persuade Paul Hurst that he, or that they are the right club for him to rebuild his management career. Um, Rob Kelly has been, he was initially the uh, <laughs> the unwilling caretaker in in the spell between David Dunn and uh, and Michael Jolly, and he's now you know the the man who who I think deserves the keys to the town. They've had the sixth most most points in the league since Jolly was sacked and Kelly took charge. It, they've been an interesting case this season, Barrow, because all the data lads, all the people who pour over the XG data and other things, shot locations, XG for, XG against and XG ratio will tell you that under David Dunn, they projected as a team who probably should have been closer to the top of the table than the bottom. Now, for whatever reason, that wasn't the case and it didn't happen. Under Michael Jolly, the data didn't necessarily get any worse. And under Rob Kelly, it's maybe started to slide, but the performances have improved. So I'd maybe urge a little bit of caution here that maybe we're seeing just the um, barrow on the receiving end of some variants and the good the good results were going to come at any stage but certainly having somebody like Kelly whose um, whose career I've I've taken us on a on a journey through on this podcast before somebody with that kind of experience and that kind of clout in the game and somebody that they can now look to as a bit of a leader um, in in what before this season was was uncharted waters for barrow uh, is incredibly important so Massive credit to them. It, it, it continues the record that no promoted team out of the National League uh, has gone straight back down at the first attempt. So we'll keep an eye on that for next season, depending on uh, on who comes up. But uh, really excited to have Barrow still in League Two next season and hopefully Rob Kelly still at the helm. Well, those are the last Tiffel Setmers of the season. We'll be smiling because it happened rather than crying because it's all over. We will obviously have a show next week previewing final weekend in the EFL. But up next, we're talking Sunderland. We'd like to find out how you can go unbeaten in 12 with nine wins to no wins in seven, just at the wrong time of the season. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the questions sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold hacker lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Time then to talk Sunderland and as Ali alluded to, things have taken a turn for the worse at the Stadium of Light. And here to discuss it all with me, it's Phil Smith from the Sunderland Echo. Phil, great to have you joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Well, let's get straight into it. And Sunderland are on a winless 
run of seven games and that followed an 11 match unbeaten run in the league of which nine were wins streaky some would maybe say I mean what was it that Lee Johnson was doing right during the winning run and what is now going wrong do you know what? It, it, it's such a difficult question because I think that across the the winless run that they're on now and across the long winning run that they were on not so long ago I don't think there's been a major shift in performance levels I think if you look at the the long unbeaten run they were on what was really impressive was they had this ridiculous injury crisis, which meant that they were playing a lot of players out of position. And they were coming out of the kind of fine margins in games, if you like, on the right side continuously, which was a very impressive achievement. And in the last kind of seven games, it's it's gone the other way. And there haven't been too many games where they've been comprehensively outplayed. But, you know, they're sort of coming out on the other side of those margins. And I think one common theme from the last seven games from from watching them is that I do think what you've seen is, whether it's the the weight of the last couple of years, whether it's the pressure of the club or whatever, I do think that there has been, they haven't responded particularly well to adversity within games. So, for example, when they fall behind or when they concede a soft goal. And like I say, it, it's difficult to know whether that's due to shortcomings in the players, whether it is that pressure, whether it's that big club, whether it's the weight of history. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's a combination of all those things. But if it does, it might sound strange to say it, but there isn't a huge amount of difference in the performances. And I think the performance data actually backs that up quite strongly. Um, it's just that the, you know, they were coming out of the right side of those margins, you know, maybe for a surprisingly long time. Um, and now for a surprisingly long time, they're coming out on the wrong side of them. I watched the game from midweek uh, against Blackpool and I was I was pretty impressed, to be honest. It was a, a brilliant Sully Kai Kai goal that made the difference. But Sunderland, I thought, were the better team on the day. And as you kind of allude to, it's not the, the first time in this in this winning run where the performances have been OK and Sunderland have had nothing to show for it. But what it means now, with two games to go against Plymouth Argyle and Northampton Town, Sunderland still need one point just to confirm their playoff spot in case one of Oxford's Charlton... Uh, one of Oxford or Charlton win their remaining games, they could overtake them. Are, are there any nerves, given what's going on at the moment, that you know the, the playoff spot still isn't quite secure? There is a little bit, yeah, for sure. I do think those mid- midweek was just peak league one, wasn't it? I was sat yeah. um, kind of watching the stoppage time play out and at one point it looked like it was going to be an absolute disaster, you know, with Portsmouth and Charlton winning. And then mm. obviously those, I think those late equalisers have, change the mood a little bit because I think that does mean that you know Sunderland have got a little bit of work to do I would say right now the mood is there is a little bit of concern about not getting in the playoffs I think you'd be daft not to have that given the run that we're on I think it's more a concern about what shape Sunderland might be in if they do go into the playoffs if that makes sense I think that's a bigger concern than than getting there themselves like I say those two late goals and just more kind of classically one twists I think that feels unlikely that they'll miss out on the playoffs, but there's definitely a, I suppose the mood is probably somewhere between mournful and furious, I guess, at the last few games. Um, and there's definitely a lot of concern about what kind of shape they'll be in if they do get into the playoffs. Yeah, not much could have uh, Lee Johnson and Carl Robinson on the same page, but two men who are definitely <laughs> cheering both of those goals late on uh, on Tuesday evening. I mean, Lee Johnson isn't the only new face at Sunderland with the new owner, Carol Louis-Dreyfus, coming in, sporting director Christian Speakman as well. And then this week after, you know, we've known it's been coming for the last month or so, Stuart Harvey was appointed as, as head of recruitment. So what do we know about about the new man who's going to be in charge of, of taking over recruitment, which I think most Sunderland fans would say has been pretty disappointing for a long time now. 
Yeah, and I think this is when we talk about the the winless run, and there has quite rightly been a lot of negativity about that. Um, but I think the, the the club is is basically undergone a total reset in the last few months. So the first piece of the puzzle was was um, Christian Speakman arriving from Birmingham City as sporting director. I think if you look at the previous sort of two seasons in League One where Sunderland have failed, a big part of that and a big part of fans' concerns towards the club was that the structure of the club was virtually non-existent, really. Um, when Christian Speakman was appointed as sporting director, the club had been without a head of recruitment um, since last July when Tony Corton and then the head of football operations, Richard Hill, both left the club as a result of you know the behind-the-scenes um, I'm not sure what the word is, but as a result of the of the failures of the previous years. So Sunderland have been without a head of recruitment since July. And that should maybe put into context maybe the off-the-scenes tumult that's gone on over the last few years as well. And and what a huge job Kirill Louis-Dreyfus has inherited. And then, you know, by virtue of that, what a huge job Lee Johnson's inherited. So Stuart Harvey has been appointed. He fits the mould um, in terms of, or he's been recruited because they feel he fits the mould in terms of it's moving away or trying to put in some proper modern recruitment processes. So Sunderland are talking a lot about using data evidence a lot more in their recruitment, which is something that they've not done a lot of recently. Um, so all these figures that they're appointing are people who theoretically will fit into this mould. So Lee Johnson's one is a head coach rather than a manager, as you like, someone who they believe will improve young players over time and has a track record of developing players from Bristol City. And Stuart Harvey's obviously the next piece of the puzzle, if you like, um, in terms of in terms of that recruitment operation. But I do think that's where the club, although on the pitch, it's kind of like, oh, here we go again. Um, but the club is a very, very different one to 12 months, 24 months ago. And and yeah, so I think that's obviously a really important part of the context where the club is right now and um, just stripping it back a little bit away from the results as well. Phil, I can't believe you're telling me that Will Grigg wasn't a data-driven process thought thinking signing. I thought that was exactly what it was. Um, but I, I remember back in the in the first um, season that Sunderland spent in League One, um, I tweeted offhand a, a, a stat about you know Sunderland's underwhelming um, XG numbers and their kind of touch in the box numbers, and I faced an absolute onslaught from Sunderland fans telling me that football was played on grass and not spreadsheets. So I'm intrigued now, kind of three years on, still in League One, and you know, quite clearly a football club looking to modernise. How has this gone down with the fans? Pretty positively, I think. I think yeah. that, um, you know, I, and what I, I referred to earlier with the appointment of Stuart Harvey and Christian Speakman, I think is really important because, mm. don't get me wrong, there is, as I said before, there is a very mournful mood on your side right now, which you do expect from not winning in seven games. But I think what we have... You know, retrospectively got a really good understanding was and is that the structure at the club was nowhere near good enough because there wasn't that kind of football intelligence. There wasn't really any proper day-to-day leadership on on at the football club. You know, Jack Ross was working virtually without a recruitment department, basically. I think there is a definite understanding that, you know, you have to do the right things for the long term. And that finally seems to be happening, which, you know, aside from the poor performances on the pitch, fundamentally wasn't happening for the first two years the club were in this division. Looking at the playing squads, uh, Dion Sanderson looks set to be injured till the end of the season. Um, how big a loss would he be? Because, you know, the, the run of form under Lee Johnson seemed to coincide pretty well with when he, he started yeah. playing at centre-back. It's it's a massive loss. Um, the kid is unbelievable. I have absolutely no idea 
how and why he ended up in League One this season. It's a complete mystery to me. He likes a battle. He's good in the air. He's got pace um, and he's got good composure and possession. And I, I would say as well, that is, you know, when we talk about this run, you know, Sunderland do have a good squad that should be able to cope with injuries. But, you know, if you looked at the start of the season, they were wanting to play back five. Luke 9 right wing back, competing with Conor McLaughlin. Conor McLaughlin's had two hernia operations this season. Right centre-back was going to be a competition between Jordan Willis and Dion Sanderson. Jordan Willis has had a serious knee injury. Dion Sanderson, as you know, has now got a serious back injury. Bailey Wright has missed large chunks of the season. Our Bennett Zemadjli, who the club actually paid money for, which was very rare, as you know, in the COVID climate last summer, hasn't kicked a ball this season due to an ACL injury. Tom Flanagan's had injuries. Denver Hume's missed four months of the season at left wing-back. So that has been a massive part also of the last couple of months and, and, and the dip in form. And yeah, Deion Sanderson is a, a huge miss. And I think looking ahead to that playoff campaign, this is going to be absolutely crucial. Can he get one of these two experienced defenders back into the side? Not just to help with the defence, the knock-on effect is then. You've been playing Max Power at right back for the most part of the last month. That gives you the chance to move him into midfield. Luke O'Nine's played more football at centre-back than any other position this season, which nobody would have predicted at the start of the year. Um, so I think that is going to be massive for the playoffs because, like I say, they need some experienced defenders. Um, but what that also means is that you might be able to get some fresh legs in midfield. Um, and when you're trying to play a quite aggressive pass, uh, pressing game, which is kind of the idea for Johnson, and that's obviously massively important as well. Certainly has been. And I've got a feeling it won't be boring. Uh, it never is at the Stadium of Light till the end of the season. Uh, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thank you. It definitely won't be boring. I can promise you that. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Right, we've looked back and now we look forward specifically to the penultimate weekend of the EFL regular season. Plenty to be sorted out this weekend. Our fixture of the week in the Championship, George, is the early game, 12.30, live on the box, Sheffield Wednesday against Nottingham Forest. This one is crucially important for the home team. It's really important. Um, and I think we should start the conversation around this by just mentioning that there seems to be some good news about Sheffield Wednesday boss Darren Moore's recovery from coronavirus-induced pneumonia. Some things are obviously bigger than football, and I think we can all agree we'd love to see Darren Moore back on the touchline very, very soon. And he's given an interview over the past 24 hours suggesting that he is on the road to recovery. So fingers crossed we see him back doing what he does best very, very soon. And this is this is a massive game 
for Sheffield Wednesday. They are still in with a chance, mainly due to the inability of the teams around them, uh, Rotherham and Derby. They are still in with a chance of getting out of this mess with two games to go. They lost 3-1 against Borough on the weekend, and that was off the back of four points in two games, having drawn with Bristol City, a game that they definitely should have won, playing against a 10-man Bristol City for 70 minutes and missing a penalty before conceding late on. They made amends for that with a 1-0 win over Blackburn. But it was interesting to see the team selection against Borough because Jordan Rhodes has played a pretty pivotal role at Wednesday um, in this kind of decent run and he was dropped to the bench. Kadeem Harris, another player who seems to have thrived since uh, Darren Moore came in, also dropped for Andre Green, who it must be said looked really lively. Um, the local press calling him the, you know, the, the one bright spark from that performance against Borough. And against Borough, they did create chances. You know, the goal was a Josh Windass penalty, but they created chances in open play. I think they had 18 shots in the game. It wasn't uh, a performance that suggested this is a team who've given up or who are down and out. They just came off second best on the day. Uh, interesting to note that Callum Patterson played up front. This seems seemingly a thing that every new manager comes in at Sheffield Wednesday, takes Patterson out of that role and slowly grinding down. As time goes along, suddenly you find Callum Patterson playing in the lone striker role again. Everybody comes full circle around to that. Um, and th- this seems to be the case here. But I hope they go back to playing Rhodes up front because they do create chances and he's a natural goal scorer, as we've seen recently. And it feels necessarily that they're going to have to score goals in order to get themselves out of this mess. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on, on Green. I'm sure he'll start again. Definitely a live wire for Wednesday that they've maybe lacked. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed we see Darren Moore back on the touchline fairly soon. And great to hear that he's returning to, to, to better health. Callum Patterson is inevitable. I'm afraid. Uh, well, if it's a, a very significant game for Sheffield Wednesday and their immediate future, you can't say the same about Nottingham Forest. Very little to play for, uh, having secured survival. Uh, that was the, the bare minimum, of course, and Chris Hutton has done that. And now you'd say it's about, I suppose, building for next season. It's for Hutton to decide on which players can be fully drilled in his style of play and which players will contribute to a more positive season next year for Forest, where you know, I think under Hewton, with the squad that they have, we should expect them to be certainly in the top half of the table rather than the bottom half and potentially aiming a little higher. But the results haven't been brilliant recently. Three draws and one loss in their last four games. And if I'm honest, nothing particularly exciting going on at a stretch. I would say that the central defensive relationship between Scott McKenna and Joe Worrell is an important relationship for them to develop. Two good young centre-backs who, because of injuries, have really struggled to find time on the pitch together to develop that relationship. And we know in that part of the pitch, you know, the pair is more important than the individual. And I I love the idea of McKenna and Worrell. I'd love to see that be their go-to next season. Uh, And maybe the next few games are just about them developing a bit more of an understanding. Alex Mighton, the, the young superstar of the future, we hope, Uh, He's been really, really lively in the last few weeks. He drifts in and out of games. And again, these extra minutes uh, without so much pressure could be huge for a player like him as they look to really take the league by storm next season. But the big storyline here for Forrest doesn't focus on them. It focuses on their major rivals, Derby County, who, of course, are, are teetering just above the dotted line of relegation, not far above Sheffield Wednesday. Four points, more specifically, with Derby playing Sheffield Wednesday on the final day of the season. So it's one of those where we like to mischievously suggest that Forrest may be well-suited not to be fully motivated for this game in order to make things harder for their bitter rivals, Derby County. Because, of course, a win for Wednesday, uh, a defeat or draw for Derby this weekend, and Derby would go into their game against Wednesday on final weekend 
really, really, really squeaky bummed because uh, <laughs> a defeat there would, would send them down. And look, not to be a party pooper, I personally feel like professional pride to the extent that that exists means that it's unlikely that these players will turn up with that in their mind, will turn up thinking, oh, a defeat here would be great to send our rivals down. But George, maybe less sure about that? Yeah, I disagree. I mean, I, I, I don't think they're going to come into the game looking to lose. <laughs> I think they'll be competitive, obviously, but it's more in other aspects of their play. You know, if you go 1-0 down early, do you really put it in to come back into the game? You know, if you have to, you know, if you're if it's one all very, very late on in the game, do you still have that motivation to track back? It's just those tiny, tiny, untangible things that maybe could go their way with Forest players knowing that a defeat or dropping points or whatever it is just would mean that little bit less to their fan base um, that could make a difference. So it might be a cliche, but football is a game of very, very fine margins. And I think it could do Wednesday no harm that this is the scenario, even if it won't necessarily do them any favours. Well, whatever Joe Worrell says about the fact that he wants Derby to be in the league next season, specifically so that he can play against Derby, score against Derby, beat Derby, uh, Paddy Power do think that Sheffield Wednesday are the likely winners. They are the 11-10 to favourites as we record. The draw at 9-4 to and Forrest's away win at 5-2 to currently. That is a big game. There could be some other things confirmed this weekend, of course, in the Championship. A, a possible Wickham relegation. I mean, they need everything to go their way and a ginormous swing of goals. So that is likely to be confirmed. Of course, Joe Jacobson was so excellent on the Totally Football League show on Monday, which you must listen back to if you haven't already. Uh, a possible Norwich title win, of course. A possible Rotherham relegation if they lose and Derby win this weekend. All to be discussed on the show on Monday with Matt and the gang. In League One, George, we've got a fixture that is important for both sides. One towards the bottom and one towards the top, but neither at either extreme, if you get what I'm saying. <laughs> a, big, a big game for both the relegation um, battle and for the playoff battle without being the race to the top or the race to the bottom, I think is what you're trying to say. Okay. Um, AFC Wimbledon against Portsmouth. Now, I've, I've just discussed um, Wimbledon towards the top of the show. Uh, and mentioned that those two penalty misses against Ipswich and Rochdale have been pretty important. But they've been in really good form. You know, Mark Robinson, the Merton Mourinho, um, has been has definitely instigated a, a big improvement in terms of performances. And I think all Wimbledon fans can be pretty excited about what's coming next season because we're seeing key players, you know, Jack Radoni, Ayub Asal looks to be a really exciting prospect. These are all guys who Mark Robinson worked with in the academy. We obviously spoke to him on this podcast a few weeks ago and he said that he just picks the team who he thinks are best place to win games and he has no kind of bias towards the academy. And that's probably true, but he he's the one who is aware of how good players like Asal actually are and that's why he's in a position to be able to pick them. And they've looked so promising. But they should be out of this already, and he knows that. They should have beaten Ipswich. They absolutely battered them at Portman Road, which shows how far they've come, and they should have beaten Rochdale in midweek. A defeat here against Portsmouth makes things very, very awkward on final day because they go to Lincoln. I mean, this could be a Lincoln side who are resting players ahead of the playoffs. This could be a Lincoln side who go into the game knowing that three points and a slip-up from Peterborough could award them automatic promotion. So they have to try and make this as... You know, their best opportunity to get out of this is this game. You know, if they win here, 
then it doesn't matter what Northampton do. It doesn't matter what Rochdale do. They will be playing League One football next season. We, we heard Joe Piggott earlier, and he speaks about the character of this team. And I think that's fair. We've seen on so many occasions this FC Wimbledon side coming back from difficult positions. They did it twice in midweek against my side, Oxford. They were 1-0 down in the second half and came back to win it 2-1. They are definitely a group who, who, who don't give up. And that seems to be part of the Wimbledon DNA over the years as well. Yeah, I think this is probably the most interesting game in maybe in the EFL um, this weekend because it affects both the two most exciting bits that we're seeing are both in League One and this affects both of them massively. You've got Charlton and Oxford fans praying for for a Wimbledon victory. So a lot rides on this. Wimbledon go into it in, I would say, better form than Portsmouth. Undeniably. Undeniably, George. I was massively alarmed by the defensive display of Portsmouth on Tuesday against Accrington, conceding three goals, countless other chances. I'm pretty sure Aki hit the woodwork at least once. And it's just the fact that, and this isn't necessarily to criticise the Cowley brothers because it's difficult to arrive into a club with 10 games left and and massively make any massive changes. But I associate Cowley football, if you will, at its best with the word control. That is a a controlled, detailed game plan, a very well-drilled team. Controlled defending, definitely at their best with Lincoln. That's absolutely what they were. That was their best uh, attribute, I would say, with controlled behaviour, with composure, to use another word. And I didn't really see that at Pompey on Tuesday night. And of course, they won their first four games under Cowley, all of them 2-1, but some really good performances in there. And then the performances just started to dip. And now they go into a crucial period, having won one of their last six, drawn two and lost the other three. Now, with the teams around them, as you've mentioned, Oxford and Charlton specifically, in better form than them, this obviously has to be won, Pompey, if they are to go into final day um, with with fate in their own hands, uh, as we like to say. They'll meet Tuesday night's foes Accrington again next weekend, which could be very interesting. But firstly, they have to do the business against Dons this weekend. Whatever it takes, whatever changes the Cowleys need to make uh, will be made because... It's an interesting one uh, amongst Pompey fans. Now that Kenny Jacket has been sacked, that they kind of need a, a new focus when things don't go well. More reasons for that. The current fans' view seems to be either the team is absolutely exhausted or the players themselves aren't good enough. And I probably have a little more sympathy with A than B there. Um, but equally, it's certainly not out of the question that they could put together a, a performance like they did in those first few games under Cowley and do the business this weekend. But the pressure is certainly on. Uh, and Paddy Power reckon that they are the favourites, Portsmouth, at 6-5 to five to win, Wimbledon 2-1, to one, and the draw 23-10 to 10 elsewhere in League One. We might see Rochdale and Northampton's relegations confirmed on Saturday. Even a win may not be enough for them, depending on the results of Wimbledon and Wigan, who've got their own fate in their hands. Right, League Two, George, fixture of the weekend. Last week, it was Bolton against Morecambe. You called it the fixture of the season in the EFL, and Bolton won it 1-0, and they're here again. Bolton against Exeter. The big games keep on coming for the Trotters. Yeah, the game didn't really live up to its billing, uh, sadly. It's Phil Billing. Uh, because Kelvin Meller was sent off early on for Morecambe. And that made it an easier task for Bolton, if not an easy one, because Morecambe was still very, very good in the game and had a lot of chances at 1-0 um, to get back into it. But for Bolton, 
this run of form, I mean, we have to just give massive credit to Ian Everett because they are now a victory away from returning to League One at the first time of asking, having been down kind of mid-lower half of the table for, for much of the season. They've won 15 of their last 20 games. Nine of these 15 wins have been 1-0. And that, you know, I, I, this isn't a slight on Bolton at all. It kind of sums them up. They are incredibly solid defensively. They've conceded just 10 goals in, that, in those 20 games. Um, and they, whilst they're not prolific, they've only failed to score in two of those matches. So we've got a, a team here who are very confident in their shape. They're very good at controlling games, confident in in and out of possession, who have a consistent ability to create just about enough to get the three points. Now, is this sustainable over a long period of time? Maybe not. It, it kind of reminds me of Sunderland and Jack Ross in that first season down in League One a couple of years ago. But it doesn't matter to now. It's, it's totally irrelevant if this is sustainable long-term because they've sustained it over a period long enough to get them into the top three and in a position now where they've only got two games to go and, and a victory will get them up. So really impressed. Um, I, I think Everett's adaptability over the course of the season has been massive for this. We saw initially a, a pretty stale and bland style of football, retention for retention's sake, whilst they still do look to keep the ball in it. They've definitely found another way to play, uh, looking to use pace on the wings rather than just looking to, to basically pass through teams. Uh, and Doyle's form recently has been very impressive as well. I think that his goal tally this season for a side who don't score that many is is, is, is very impressive. And yeah, I'm excited to see what happens next season. It, it wasn't a great summer of recruitment last summer for for Bolton. Um, their first summer under new under kind of the new ownership structure and, and without the off field issues that we that, that meant that they they spent this season in League Two. Um, but I think they're a team who look to be back on the up, and it's probably bad news for for other teams in League One if they do get there. That it's another big fish maybe in the small pond getting into mm. into League One. Well, they come up against Exeter, who have to go for it really they're two points behind Salford and three behind Newport those are the two playoff uh, incumbents that they could feasibly catch they've got a better goal difference than both of them but it feels like they have to win this weekend to send them into final weekend the home game against Barrow with some hope of sneaking in and the whole second half of the season for Exeter I've just been thinking okay well we know you're good but but how good? Are you good enough to get into the top seven? And it's still in the balance, but I would lean towards probably not quite. They're the second highest scorers in the league behind Oldham. They've scored three or more goals in a game 10 times this season, but they've also drawn a blank 13 times. So they are a team who live on the extremes rather than show any sort of consistency. And that's held them back. Uh, another thing that's held them back, their, their record against the teams above them, eight teams above them currently, their record is four wins, seven draws and four defeats. Now, that's not disastrous, but they've not taken enough points off the teams above them in order to get closer to them. They've also struggled to win games away from home, Exeter. Only six wins away, seven defeats and nine draws. So I would say it's set up perfectly this weekend for anyone who lays down the gauntlet to Exeter. Go and uh, go and write all of those wrongs, if you can call them that. You're playing against a, a motivated Bolton side, a team above you in the table. You're away from home. They're probably the toughest possible opponents given their run of form and the fact that they themselves want to win to get their promotion sorted. I think they are very unlikely, Bolton, to let Exeter cut loose and start racking up the goals like they have done against some other teams. So it's time to prove if you're good enough here. And a win here 
would put the pressure on those teams above them. Uh, they've got Barrow on final day. That looks favourable, given that Barrow are very pleased that they've secured their survival. But anything other than a win, and it's likely to be over for Exeter. I just want to finish on a positive note. Randall Williams is back in business. He missed a huge chunk of the season, but played his first full 90 since injury in midweek and set up the first goal against Grimsby. They are a completely different side with him in it, such as his quality. And that's what we've seen over the last 18 months, two years or so that Williams has been playing for them. So there's every chance that he could be a difference maker this weekend. Bolton are the favourites, unsurprisingly, with Paddy Power, 6-5 to five to win the game. Exeter, 21-10 to 10, and the draw, 23-10. to 10. Also in League Two, Cambridge didn't get it done, did they, uh, last weekend, losing to Stevenage. Um, but they will be promoted, I'm sure, this weekend, as will Bolton if they win that game. Uh, the four teams currently occupying the playoff spots, that's Morecambe, Tranmere, Newport and Salford, could all cement their places this weekend. Of course, they are very interested in a Bolton win in that game of the weekend against Exeter. A reminder that this weekend sees a social media blackout across football starting on Friday going through to Monday night. As football comes together in the aim to stop the torrent of abuse we're sadly seeing week in, week out. But the shows go on because there is more to life than social media and Matt Davis-Adams will be joined by former Leighton Orient boss Ross Embleton on Monday's show. Thank you to Mike Duff and to Phil Smith for coming on today and thank you for listening. We'll be back next Thursday, but for now, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.